All right, got a good one today. We're joined by Stu Marks. Stu, thanks so much for making the time. Yeah, of course. It's great to join you. And thank you for having me and James down at your house recently. It was a pleasure spending time with you and getting to know your family. Oh, the pleasure is ours. Thanks for uh, th- thanks for making the trip. Uh, so let's get into it. Uh, refresh, uh, refresh my memory. What were you doing before INSEAD? And then walk us through what you have been doing for the last 20 years. Yep, for sure. So I was a lawyer. Uh, a corporate finance, project finance lawyer uh, in Australia. And my main objective in going to INSEAD was to uh, kind of make a make a transition out of the law, ideally into principal investing. Um, and I can gratefully say that that was, uh, I achieved that after I left INSEAD. I did go, uh, I came back to Australia and moved into a, a principal investing role in infrastructure, um, infrastructure development and, and investment. Um, and I've been in that industry ever since for the last 20 years. Um, although I have moved around a bit, I was initially in Australia for the first uh, a few years after finishing INSEAD and not long after uh, after that, I had an opportunity to move to the U.S., where I've where I've been ever since. And, and uh, what what exactly kinds of things have you been doing for for the last twenty years? Like what what what, what kinds of companies? What kinds of roles? Yep, sure. So, uh, so infrastructure development, investment. By, by by what that really means is we um, we design, build, finance and operate and maintain public infrastructure assets for public authorities, essentially. So it's everything from uh, federal governments, state governments, uh, state departments of transport, down to cities, municipalities, public university systems. And we deliver their major infrastructure capital projects. Um, But the key thing on what we do is, firstly, we invest our own equity and we raise private capital in order to fund construction but then we're also on the hook for maintaining and operating that asset for the next 30 to 70 years um, and that we earn our return over that uh, over that period um, so we've done projects like for example the port of uh, port of miami tunnel uh, we've done the uh, a, a large campus expansion for the University of California and one of their new campuses in Northern California. We've done um, new city halls and public libraries, public parks for, for cities around the country, toll roads, um, hospitals, schools, that, that, that type of thing. Um, and me specifically, uh, I was... I've been in an, uh, an investment director role, so essentially um, kind of putting the deals together, structuring them commercially and financially, negotiating contractual structures with our construction partners and our public sector counterparts. And then more, more recently, I guess for the last six to seven years, I've been the, um, the head of the, the investment group, so in more of a managerial role supporting our investment team i'm going to ask some dumb dumb questions here because this is this is a very uh foreign uh field to me but so you gave some great examples let's let's just use that the the miami tunnel as an example this is uh, presumably this is something that by itself won't be generating any you know any revenue It, it it complements some part of the bigger project and and consider the fact that you guys are putting your own money in how how much say do you have into you know what this thing looks like, whether or not you build it, 
And then how do you make sure you actually get paid back if it's if this thing is not its own, you know, let's say income producing asset and can you know stand on its own two feet? Yeah, it's a great question. And I'll answer there's there's largely very simply two types of um project structures that we invest in. The first one is for non-revenue generating assets like you're uh, like you're pointing to. Uh, and there our revenue stream is what we call an availability payment, which is essentially like a lease payment or an annuity from the public sector. Um, and that lease payment or availability payment is subject to deductions if we don't maintain and meet certain performance specifications for that asset. Um, so that's a great uh, revenue stream provided we get through construction. So that revenue stream only starts once we've designed, built and opened the asset for for operations. And once, and once that's occurred, that uh, annuity payment, availability payment starts and continues for the for the balance of the concession term. Um, so that's a so great. In, in that case, it, it, let's 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 dig in a little more. So it sounds almost like a almost like a mortgage payment, if you will, for for whoever wants you to build it. They 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 can't come up with all that cash up front. So you you basically loan them the money, help build it for them, and then you're charging them on an ongoing basis to to for yep. for for that financing. That's exactly right. And the only nuance is that mortgage payment can be uh, uh, can be deducted or reduced um, if we're not. Uh, operating and making sure that asset performs to a certain specification, which incentivizes us to make sure that it's properly maintained, it's life cycled efficiently, um, and it basically allows the public sector to to go in and do their job without worrying about in the in the example of a hospital or a school, they don't have to worry that the power is going to go out, that the roof needs replacing, uh, or that there's graffiti that needs to be cleaned from the from the car park. How are you protected on the other side from them maybe, you know, not not paying you this 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 amount that you've agreed to? Yep. So all the majority of our counterparts are public sector authorities, and they're all uh, investment grade. So which which covers most of the states in the U.S. and the provinces in Canada. Um, there are a couple of states and municipalities that aren't investment grade rating, and we would we would tend to steer away from those. Um, but that and that allows us to get a high investment grade rating on the private finance that we raise. Uh, that's generally how we look at things. Which which states are you at are investment grade? Uh, Illinois uh, got into some, it, oh, not quite an investment grade for us. Oh, I was hoping you say Florida so I can make fun of my in-laws. Uh, so there, there, there's the other scenario, which presumably these are income generating assets that you could you, you take and run on your own if in the worst case scenario, I assume. Yep, that's right. So the revenue generating assets, the classic ones are, of course, are toll roads, toll bridges. Mm -hmm. um, and there we do, uh, th there's different types. There's a pure greenfield where you're building a road where nothing exists before. That takes some pretty, um, uh, uh, you know, a, a lot of due diligence and a lot of uh, reliance on, on greenfield revenue forecasting. Where we're more comfortable is where you're adding expansion capacity to an existing uh, corridor. So at least you've got some history of traffic you know, to base your projections on. Um, but in those assets, uh, we're purely getting our return based on the tolls that we're able to um, charge users of that toll road. Um, 
Now, sometimes there are, uh, there are often going to be restrictions on how you can increase or, or dynamically change those tolls, but that's all agreed up front in our you know, investment uh, cases built on what the, whatever those restrictions are. Do you focus on a certain type of, of asset or infrastructure, or you do kind of anything and everything? We're, we're essentially uh, asset agnostic, as long as the you know investment criteria is met based on the the contractual the commercial structure of the project. But now, having said that, um, because we're kind of active developers and and operators of our assets, um, we do have developed expertise in certain asset types and hospitals and schools. So what we call social infrastructure is definitely, uh, you know, we're, we're very well known for that. Um, and uh, we've got a number of toll road assets in our portfolio. So we're developing um, some good experience there. And the newer asset types that we've got a couple uh, more recently, uh, transit projects and some uh, broadband, pub public access broadband fiber projects. All in the U.S. and Canada? All in the U.S. and Canada. We do have uh, a mandate to look at projects in Latin America. We've, uh, we've got a project in, uh, the, um, in Aruba, and we've also just closed on an airport in the Bahamas. Gotcha. All right. Now let's talk a little bit about uh, your geographic uh, decisions, because I'm always amazed when Australians leave that incredible little island or, or big island, little <laughs> continent, uh, and come here. Uh, what, what was, was that, was that a deliberate plan or did just sort of opportunity, you kind of followed opportunity? Yeah, you know, as a little kid growing up, little gay kid growing up in Brisbane, <laughs> Brisbane, Australia, I always had some, you know, these romantic notions of one day being able to live in Manhattan, you know, the the, the Big Apple, mm -hmm. uh, and for various reasons like that, that 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 always seemed elusive. Um, but then uh, the a company I was working for in doing this, um, doing the. Uh, in the industry that I'm in currently, um, had uh, uh, had offices in the U.S. and they were looking for Australians to to spend some time in New York. Um, so I put my hand up for that and was lucky enough to to get that placement. I was really only planning on coming for you know three to five years, um, but you know 16, 17 years later, I'm still here. Uh, the um, I think the reasons for that is the infrastructure investment and development that I'm in, US is a fantastic place to be because the US is fantastic at a lot of things, but its infrastructure report card is pretty poor. So there's uh, a ton of work to be done here. Um, and then of course I fell in love and got married with a Californian 10 years ago. So now, uh, you know, I own a little home uh, in, uh, in, in Los Angeles, got a couple of dogs. So I've, I feel pretty stable here now. You could have sugarcoated the infrastructure situation here a little bit more, too, especially when talking to an American. But uh, I guess thank you for the candor. Uh, got some got some kind of rapid fire questions. I'm going to try to ask everybody. So let, let's get through them and excuse the sort of you know uh, cliche nature to some of these. But I, I think it's it's helpful to kind of get get this out there for everybody. Uh, first and foremost, what do you wish you had known 20 years ago as you were leaving NCAT? Yeah, it's a it's a it's a great question. You know, I'm not going to – what comes up for me around that is I'm a pretty stubborn learner, a slow learner, and everything I've 
even if I get really good advice and, and really good direction, for some reason, I'm, uh, I have to kind of directly experience something for it really to sink in. So I'm not sure that there's anything anybody could have really have told me 20 years ago that would have made much of an impact. Um, you got to learn uh, the hard way. We got to learn the hard way. Yeah, so I'm kind of grateful for everything that I didn't I didn't know and learnt along the way. Um, and the other thing that I've noticed too is the older I've gotten, the the more I've the, the more I realise how little I do know, and that being in a place of not knowing as much as possible uh, is actually a pretty good place to be. Uh, yeah, that's that's a very zen like. Um, I, I kind of like that. Uh, what do you think is your biggest professional mistake you've made? If I'm, if I really go back, I think the biggest mistake I made was um, uh, not following my heart when I was a young person and going with something more kind of creative. Uh, whether that was, um, you know, I when I was younger, I I, lo- I really wanted to be an actor. Um, I loved uh, I loved fashion and design and architecture, but that was never really encouraged. And I was um, I kind of fell into the peer pressure of um, doing medicine or law. I fainted at the side of blood, so so medicine wasn't a real option. So I went into the law, but I was never really passionate about it. Um, I'm grateful that over the years I've found a passion for what I do. But I think, um, yeah, my biggest mistake was not really following my heart as a young person. Mm-hmm. Well, you live in LA now. You probably could uh, examine the, uh, or at least uh, stick a toe in the acting uh, pool. Um, what does, uh, and maybe, maybe you're, you're partially doing it right now, but what does retirement look like for you? Yeah. Uh, retirement looks like, <clears throat> Well, the way my husband and I are thinking about it is in five years, wherever we happen to be financially, we're just going to, that's what we're going to work with. Um, so that's probably going that, to, that's probably going to dictate whether we end up uh, able to kind of stay here in the US, whether we, we whether we move to somewhere where there's a, a, a cheaper standard of living. Um, but we've been kind of practicing at, at, at at, at downsizing and kind of letting go of as many possessions and materials as possible. So I'm, I, I feel pretty confident that um, uh, whatever, wherever we are in five years, that um, we're going to make it work. Interesting. I haven't heard this answer before. So, so in 2028, you just you stop earning income and then you, you, you just live on whatever you got at that point. I, I kind of like that, that idea. Yeah, we're going to accumulate as much as we can, and then you know <laughs> wherever we're at, that's 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 what we're going to live with. <laughs> All right, two more questions, uh, both kind of related to each other. Uh, w- with what you're doing today and where you are professionally and personally, is there anything the community can do to help you, the NCAD community? Yeah, you know the 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 two biggest work related things that come to that come to mind are. Uh, if anybody's had some some direct real life experience in effectively being able to make their workplace a more diverse and inclusive workplace that's not just kind of tick the box tokenism you know stuff that a lot of 
companies went through, you know, in in recent years. Um, I'd love to hear people's experience on what has worked for them, um, because we've struggled with that, to be honest, at, at my company. Um, and the other thing that I, I was able to chat to a little bit, uh, a couple of folks about at the reunion was, um, I feel like I'm a bit behind the curve, and we as a company are behind the curve on on AI. So if anybody again has any um, uh, yeah, direct experience in, in implementing AI in an investment um, development investment company environment um, for folks that are pretty, um, uh, that aren't necessarily kind of um, first adopters or, or leaders when it comes to tech. I'd love to speak to people who's got some experience there. Interesting. That's, that's good stuff. Uh, now, the other side of that question, uh, what do you feel like you're, you're able to offer to, to the group, you know, regarding opportunities or, or counsel or, or what have you? Yep. I, I feel like the, the, the business that I'm in is pretty niche and it's not often that I run into folks, although we were lucky enough to do a, a couple of deals with Alex Kaloff. So that was, um, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> That's been that was uh, that, that's been fun, um, but so I think the things I've got to offer are probably more on the softer side. Um, uh, I'll, I'll share a little bit personally. The um, you know, my husband and I have, have um, uh, developed a meditation and mindfulness practice that we've you know that's been a huge part of our lives over the last ten years, and we've um, you know I've uh, been able to kind of introduce that in various ways at work. Um, there was an interesting seminar that somebody, one of the professors gave right at the end of the reunion and I saw a few folks were able to attend that. Um, but if anybody's interested in mindfulness and a meditation in the, the kind of the, the Buddhist meditation tradition, um, I'd love to you know build community with folks who are interested in that. Um, and then I guess the other thing that's a little bit more personal is that I, um, you know, I gave up uh, alcohol ten years ago, and I've been, you know, sober in recovery for te for the last ten years, um, which has been probably the best uh, thing that's happened to me, both per personally and professionally. Um, so if there's anybody out there who's has a similar experience that wants to um, share about that, or that might just be interested in what life looks like as a as as a as a sober person, um, I can certainly share my experience there. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. Thanks so much. I, I, and I was hoping you were going to say also. Uh, if anybody is, is planning on seeing a show at the Hollywood Bowl anytime soon, they can they can stay at your place, which is walking distance to this amazing, maybe the best concert venue on the planet. Um, well, I'm glad you mentioned that because we absolutely do. If anybody is in LA, we've got a, a little Airbnb. We're right close to the bowl. And thanks, Joe, to your inspiration. I've seen two shows recently, the uh, Guns N' Roses, um, Nightmare Before Christmas, and uh, we're going to Mariah Carey this weekend. Oh, that's fantastic. Wow. I'm <laughs> jealous. I'm jealous. Well, hey, Stu, really, really good to talk to you. Thanks so much for taking the time. You got it. Anytime. Ciao.